Welcome to More Than Special with Jermaine Suford. Our program is of interest to parents, family members, and caregivers of children and adults with special needs. Whether it's an acquired delay or one from birth, we'll speak with experts to bring you answers, information, and compassion. Now, here's your host, Jermaine Suford. Hello, welcome. This is Jermaine, and I'm here with a really awesome topic that affects so many of our kiddos. We have some specialists here that will help us learn more about different feeding issues and how it intersects with speech issues. And also there's, there's every kid seems to be a picky eater at some time in their life. So we're going to have a, a great discussion about how all of those kinds of things can be worked on in a professional setting, but also a few tips and tricks for um, moms and maybe some other professionals that are running into some issues. So um, let me introduce to you, uh, here's Mona, and then we'll also in a minute introduce Jenny. But hi, Mona, how are you? Hello. Hello, Jermaine. Thank you so much for um, having us on the show. It is such an honor and a privilege to share what Jenny and I are so passionate about and how we can help so many families with exactly what you just said, Um, helping those families that have the picky eaters, helping those families with feeding disorders. Feeding is such a social part of what we do every day, and it's it's a huge impact um, on those families that aren't able to have that that social piece, you know, with with their children to be able to eat like everybody else. So, um, you know, little bit about me, um, Jermaine. I'm a speech therapist. I've been a a speech therapist for about 14 years. I um, have a background in pediatric uh, feeding therapy. Started at an outpatient clinic um, about, um, you know, 14 years ago, then moved into the home health care setting doing um, pediatric feeding therapy. And um, now um, I've I've worn many different hats. And now I kind of do the the consulting for families out there that are looking for um, feeding services um, via an OT or speech therapist, and I help families within the community get connected. So I'm really excited um, to be on here today and share what we can do to help um, those families out there that have children with feeding difficulties. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's a great point about how social food is, even though it's like there's the nutritional side that's like the functional piece, but but there's this massive social piece of having dinner together as a family or yes. eating in a restaurant yes. pre, pre and post COVID restaurant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Birthday parties. It's a very big yeah. deal for a child to go to a birthday party and eat what all the other children are eating there. So right. it's a very big social part of our society. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well then let's go ahead and introduce here, Jenny. Um, tell us about yourself. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jermaine. It's, it's, Wonderful to be on the show and um, happy to chat with you and Mona today about, like she said, we are so passionate about pediatric feeding disorders and everything that it entails. Um, And so I have also been a speech therapist, not for quite as long as Mona, um, but for eight years and um, really immersed myself as part of a multidisciplinary team in an outpatient setting. Um, and then really immersed myself into the home health setting as a feeding therapist um, with Solace, and then uh, have shifted into um, a role as regional clinical manager. So I help support our clinical team, and we get to do a lot of in-services and, and teachings around pediatric feeding disorders because it is so multifactorial. Um, so very excited to chat today and yeah. hopefully um, bring a lot of good information to the table. Yeah, yeah, and and. On that point, there is a lot of different disciplines that get involved with 
somebody putting something in their mouth and hopefully swallowing it. <laughs> like there's, it goes from speech yep. to OT to the, oh, yes. I mean, and then there's the different levels of, of, right. There's the people who have mechanical issues that are going on. Whereas there's other people who maybe don't like the sensory taste of, of bread or something um, that feeds into, haha, feeds into their uh, pickiness. Um, and how do you split that when it's sensory versus pickiness? Um, well, great. Well, um, I was thinking, what do you think if, if you talk to a family and they have a picky eater or they think the kid is just, I don't know, ornery, um, how do you start to diagnose or find out if it's a concern or truly just a kid who's making a lot of choices? That's a, that's a really great question. Um, all the time, parents are, are asking their physicians, I, I feel like my kiddo's really picky. Okay, so when does it become a picky eater versus a problem eater? Yes. Um, and I like to think of a couple things off the bat. Um, and this is something that, that parents and caregivers can say to their, their pediatrician. Um, because really what that parent is advocating for is hopefully a feeding referral. Um, so, so picky eater. Picky eaters um, tend to eat foods from all food groups and tend to have at least more than 30 foods, believe it or not. Um, wow. But maybe they don't eat every fruit that's out there, but they eat two or three. A problem eater avoids whole food groups. So these kiddos don't eat fruits, they don't eat vegetables. That is an automatic red flag. Mm. Because I want to know why. Um, Is Like you said, Jermaine, is it something about the sensory property? Is it the way that the strawberries look and they have the little seeds? Um, Also, fruits, depending on the season, taste different in our mouth. or is it an oral motor skill problem? So these are just things as a feeding therapist that I'm running through in, in my head. Um, so avoiding whole food groups or eating less than 20 foods total. Okay. So, and, and these kids might be like getting Pediasure, some like supplement to get their calories, but they maybe aren't eating lots of proteins or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or fruits or vegetables. Yeah. Um, the other, the other uh, thing I look at is, how are mealtimes going? You know, our picky eaters are still eating up at the table with the family. They might be eating something different, but they enjoy eating. They come to the table and mealtimes overall are not stressful. Hmm. When it becomes a problem and we categorize that into the problem feeder, these kids don't want to come to the table. If they do come to the table, they are screaming, crying, avoiding either actively or passively. Um, because whatever's on that plate, we're really worried about. Mm. Or maybe I just don't feel hungry. And I also want to know why. Um, and so those are a couple red flags that really can help parents think through, is it picky? Is it problem? Mona, anything to add to that? Yeah, no, I think that's such a, a an important you know aspect to really think about. It, it, that problem eater versus picky eater is there's such a fine line there on when it really is um, you know a problem versus because you know we're all picky. There's some foods I don't like either. You know we're all picky at the end of the day. But you know what I've really helped parents um, kind of figure out 
does it affect if you go out to eat dinner as a family, is little Johnny going to refuse everything on the menu and you have to go to a separate restaurant for him when you're done? Is it affecting how you're functioning in other environments? And yes, it absolutely is a problem. Because like you said, Jenny, it is so stressful for these families to make dinner for everybody. And then little Johnny needs an entire separate meal for every single meal. He can't go out to dinner with the family. He is refusing to eat lunches at school. It just spirals into these events that, you know, Yep. And I would be problematic. Yeah. We call that short order cooking. So mom, dad, grandma's having to cook something different every single time. Yes. That's That's a problem. Absolutely. Um, So, so short order cooking is definitely not, not what we want families to have to be doing. Um, And so we really want a specialist to come in and, and look and see what's going on. Yeah. And um, Jenny, I know that that um, we're going to attach that handout, um, kind of how to identify a picky eater versus a problem eater. So some of those points are really good. And Jenny, would you say um, if the family just ident- identifies one or two things on the problem eater side, is that a good opportunity to speak to their doctor about um, maybe getting a feeding evaluation? Absolutely. Um, advocate, advocate. I know you caregivers out there, you parents out there are pros at advocating for your kiddos. Um, and sometimes, you know, when a pediatrician, you know, says, you know, Johnny's growing, he looks great, but he only eats five foods, mm-hmm. still warrants a feeding evaluation. Um, yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about, Mona, when we were talking about, um, you know, mealtimes as a whole, the other thing I want to mention on the problem side is um, kiddos that, that might eat grapes, and then all of a sudden, one day they wake up and they stop eating grapes. Mm-hmm. Um, your picky eater is going to stop eating a, a, a food for a short amount of time, but then they're going to pick that back up eventually. Right. Problem feeders lose foods over time and right. never regain them. Right. So then all of a sudden they're, you know, they used to eat 10 foods and now all of a sudden it's only five foods because they've lost those foods and they're not replacing them with new ones. So they're really at risk. Exactly. And sometimes this doesn't happen until, um, you know, the kiddo is between two and three years of age and they go through a developmental shift that we call magical thinking. Um, I've heard parents say over and over, they used to be a really great eater. When they were one, they would eat everything. And then now we're two and we're extremely picky. Um, mm-hmm. there's a cognitive shift that's happening and it's worth exploring if all of a sudden we're losing foods and now our diet overall is very limited. Right. And so Jenny, that just kind of um, leads us into, you know, the other topic that we're really here to talk about is how do we advocate? How do families advocate for, you know, children with these feeding disorders? When is, how do we, how do, how do we help them identify the feeding disorders? What are, what ages do they need to be concerned? Um, You know, help those parents understand that a little bit more. Yeah, Mona. So that's, you know, that's a really great question. Um, I think advocating, you know, as a parent um, of a child can be really challenging. And so um, the more information you have, the better. Um, If you're able to go in and say even, hey, I listened to this wonderful show and they talked about the difference between pick eaters and problem feeders. And I really feel like my kiddo falls on the problem feeder side. I would love to have a feeding referral. 
And that referral can actually go to an occupational therapist or a speech therapist, um, depending on the speech therapist training. Um, I know Mona and I have have gained several certifications and it, attended several courses and are um, highly specialized and trained. And, and wherever that referral is being sent, they're going to be able to guide you on whether it should go to an occupational therapist or a speech therapist. We actually have a lot of crossover. So um, advocate, educate. Um, the other thing I'm thinking about is there's a wonderful questionnaire out there on feedingmatters.com that parents can actually fill out, print, and take to their pediatrician. Um, And I know we're going to be linking that as a resource for you all. Um, So, you know, er the earlier the better. The minute you have a concern, the mom gut, the parent gut is so powerful. If you have a concern, if it's, if it's, you know, your kiddo's at six months or your child's at two years, Get them in, get them seen, um, because an evaluation can never hurt. It's really awesome. And I, even with that questionnaire, and whether it's to you guys or, like you said, to somebody who's an OT or another agency, um, you were sharing that you can now do telehealth and work with families without the logistical nightmare of going to a clinic, taking a kid out of school to meet the 10 a.m. appointment time that they have available that one time. And mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't, you know, it shortens wait list times and it um, uh, probably increases the family's involvement in what the, impl- um, you know, what the techniques are going to be because they're the ones actually um, implementing them. Tell mm-hmm. me about how that works. How, Cause yeah. I imagine it's really cool to have such parent involvement with uh, rural families that yes. maybe otherwise would have never had services. Absolutely, Jermaine. That is such a wonderful question, and I'm so happy and excited to answer it um, at the same time. And um, I will I will say 2020 has been a crazy year for all of us, um, but the silver lining um, at Solace is that we got to implement telehealth. You know, um, when the shutdown happened on March 15th of 2020, the whole world and the economy shut down. Guess what? Solace did not shut down. We were able to continue providing therapy in the homes. Um, you know, we were prepared for the pandemic um, um, way before it all hit. So we got all of our families set up with, um, you know, a um, HIPAA compliant platform where we could do virtual telehealth in the event that, you know, um, the city got shut down and we couldn't travel to the homes. We were prepared. And I am so proud and thankful to work for a company that was at the front lines of all of this, because without telehealth, these poor children would have gone without therapy. And um, a lot of these children that we see, um, you know, going a week or two without therapy is detrimental to their progress. They need the routine. They They need the therapy on a consistent basis to continue making their gains. And so, you know, with all that being said, um, the implementation of telehealth, we are now able to reach children anywhere in the state of Colorado that need therapy services. Um, We have started getting getting referrals in Pagosa Springs. In fact, a really great story. We um, were able to see a child in Pagosa Springs. He um, has cerebral palsy. He's 13 years old and he's never had therapy in his life because he lives so far away from where um, anybody could travel to him or they could travel to outpatient. And now at the age of 13, he's getting therapy with us via telehealth. And um, it's just so exciting for this family to actually see their child make progress. Um, And we're, um, we're... anywhere in the state of Colorado, we're able to serve these really rural families. And, um, you know, 
and also what we're seeing is the progress that these um, children are making. So telehealth really, it's a virtual, excuse me, a virtual interactive therapy session. So it's not a telephone um, visit. If that's what you're thinking, if it's just over the telephone, it's actually interactive. And so you have your therapist on, um, you know, your computer, your smart device, and then the family on it. And we're guiding the family hands-on how to implement therapy. And in some cases, it's we're seeing even more progress because it is encouraging the families to really get involved in the session. It's encouraging the um, the family members to get involved as well. And we're seeing better carryover of, you know, that we're always providing a home exercise program as part of what we do at Solace with home health care, but we're seeing even more progress being carried over um, because of telehealth. And I know Jenny has a really great um, story to share um, with a, a feeding kiddo that she's been seeing via telehealth, um, you know, during this time. And I know that she would love to share the story and the progress that she's been able to make um, with one of her kiddos during this time via telehealth. Yeah, let's hear it. I love good stories. I'm over here wiggling in my chair. I'm so excited. <laughs> my experience. Um, so, and, and I just want to say, um, we actually, we had, we switched over 10,000 families, Mona, um, wow. to telemedicine back in March. And I believe we overnight FedExed um, 75 iPads to families that didn't have access to technology wow. and loaned Amazing. those iPads out um, so that their kiddo could access therapy. So um, I, I definitely wanted to note that. And let me tell you about my little friend, Malia. Um, Malia came to me right, I mean, gosh, I think we started right when we went virtual in March, um, 10 months old. She was born with epidermolosis bullosa, EB, which is a skin condition, um, blistering of the skin upon contact. Um, and so these kiddos are so resilient. They have around-the-clock wound care um, with chronic open blisters. So as you can imagine, eating was hard for Malia because she would blister in her mouth. Oh, my goodness. Uh, they placed a G-tube, which um, is a feeding tube through the stomach, at five days of age. Um, when I started with Malia at 10 months, she was 100% dependent on the bottle in formula um, and had never even tasted food. And typically, you know, your pediatrician will guide you to start offering solids or purees around six months. So um, I got on the computer with mom and I had told mom, you know, let's have these foods ready to go. Um, I want you to go out and buy raw carrots, not the baby carrots, but the big ones. And I actually walked mom through the very first session how to cut up those carrots to use as what we call a hard munchable um, so that Malia could start to, to explore and hold the carrot and maybe eventually bring it to mouth to get that tongue working the way that we want it to. And so, um, you know, the position of mom in front of Malia when she's in the high chair, we talked through that together and she got to be in the driver's seat. And I like to think about um, as a therapist, I love magical moments when our kiddos do something that they've never done. I don't need that magical moment. I want the parent to experience that. Mm. I want Malia's mom to experience her first bite and when she brings food to her mouth. And so that is the beauty of telehealth. And we, we have worked, um, I did my very first home visit with all my PPE on um, last week, but we've done telehealth for up to six months and Malia is putting every single food in her mouth. Wow. She's tasting food. She's, um, we're still working on the skill to chew and swallow, um, you know, a soft food like a tortilla. But this girl loves mealtimes and we've made all that progress just on the telemedicine platform. 
That is a really awesome story. And I imagine that the generalizability with having mom implement that, then she's able to do those things that you're teaching her at breakfast and lunch and dinner and snacks instead of just the one hour that she would be with you sitting with the, with the carrot. Um, so that probably increases the, the impact of the skills that you're actually teaching. That's so cool. Yep. And you're so right. I mean, to give mom that power and for me to give her the tools to be successful at home is just, I mean, there's nothing matches it. And, and being able to do it in their home setting versus uh, an outpatient clinic that has been, you know, Mona and I both came from an outpatient world and coming into to home health. It has been so eye opening. I don't know how I ever gave a parent a single recommendation <laughs> without seeing their child actually in their home. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, the parent's ability to really take the tools, carry them over on their own without me coming in and sitting in that driver's seat is, is so powerful. Yeah, that's really cool. Jenny, will you kind of touch on too with Malia how, you know, you identifying her at that early age has really helped set up her, set her up for success with trying these different foods and going through different textures and adding in, um, you know, more challenging foods. Will you kind of touch on that age range and the importance of catching, you know, any type of feeding delay at an early age? Absolutely, Mona. So glad you brought that up. Um, and, and I want to say everything that I have learned, I have to give credit to Dr. K. Toomey, um, world-renowned feeding specialist who I've done a lot of training with. Um, children, believe it or not, learn all the skills that they need into adulthood to chew and swallow between six and 12 months. An unbelievable amount of oral motor skill development happens just in those six months. Um, if I can get a kiddo in that window that's struggling then, um, also because of where they're at cognitively, right? They're, they're in the, the world of watching everything that mom or dad or grandma is doing. Um, and so they're going to imitate and really, their little brain's like a sponge. And so if I can get them early in, in that, that age where they're developing those skills and they're learning so quickly, it's, it's the magic It's the magic stage, that's for sure. Um, But what if your kiddo doesn't have challenges between six and 12 months and it's now they're turning two? Um, Still, the earlier, the better. Um, You know, Malia was 10 months when we started. um, And so she had missed already about four months of that development. And so, you know, now we are working with a little bit of an oral motor skill delay. But because we got to start working on it at 10 months, She's going to catch up and we're going to get there maybe quicker than we would have if I didn't start with her till she was 16 months or 18 months um, because I have that really special window where all the magic happens and I have her cognitively at an age where she's really ready to learn those skills. Absolutely. I think that's so important, even from my personal experience, Jenny, um, you know, getting a kiddo that's a picky eater at four or five years old versus six months to a year old is you're talking years of therapy of a difference you know, that it can make in that child. Obviously every child is different, but the earlier that we can get them, um, you know, the better because they learn these behaviors and it's very hard to um, desensitize these children or retrain bad behaviors. um, You know, if they've been going on for years, it's like relearning to walk a different way. It's very hard to retrain that after years and years of years of doing it the wrong way. 
Yep. And actually, you know what that makes me think of is in that six to 12 month period, um, you know, children are getting messy. So I always like to say the messier, the better, you know, put them in their diaper in the high chair and let them play. Children learn through play. The messier they get with food, actually in that window, the less likely they are to be a picky eater in the long run. So if they get exposure to the way foods look, feel, taste, smell in that six to 12 months, then, um, you know, it's really going to set them up for success. It's the the earlier we can learn about food, the better. Um, I actually call therapy food school. So we learn about foods just like we learn about math and science. Um, And my older kids love that. They say, mom, we're, we're, you know, Miss Jenny's coming over. We're going to do food school. Um, So I love that you, you touched on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I always tell families because, um, you know, when I would go in the home and do feeding therapy, the mom moms would always be like, oh, I'm so sorry. They're such a messy eater. There's just, you know, there's pudding everywhere and there's food everywhere. And I would I would say every time, no, that's OK. I want your child to be messy during mealtime. There are many therapy sessions that we did in the bathtub because we were using pudding and we were getting our hands dirty and, and um, desensitizing to different textures. So, um, you know, I think it is important. It's important to explore. And when you say desensitization, Mona, um, that really means the more I do something, the easier it becomes. Yeah. So I personally need desensitized to the smell of cinnamon gum. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have uh, always had my own little sensory um, issues around the smell. So if I'm around someone who chronically chews cinnamon gum, um, my, my, sensory system is going to get more used to that smell and I'm not going to have such an over response to it and run out of the room. Um, And just wanted to touch on, on what really desensitization means. Yeah. And we, and we will touch on that later in the show, kind of the sensory, um, uh, sensory issues that kind of go along with some of these picky eaters. But, um, you know, Jenny, just to kind of wrap up Malia, um, you know, we do, which we'll share um, at Solace, we have a Facebook page that you guys can follow. So if you want to see what Malia looks like in person, um, you know, we'll give you our link to follow on Facebook because there is a video of Jenny and Malia doing their therapy sessions. So if you want to see how adorable she is and what great progress she's making, make sure that you um, follow us on on our Facebook page um, to see that video. That is so cool. I'm so glad that you have such a great story for people because it's a real scenario. It's not just, you know, the picky eater who's seven years old. That's it's life changing. You've saved literally a life. That's so cool. So um, we'll be right back after break. And uh, thank you guys. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Turn every weekend into a fun storytime adventure with Jesse Jameson and Friends. Each week, Jesse brings on a new guest with a great real-life story to share. And he tests the limits of some of his friends' storytelling abilities with fun questions and outrageous comments. If you have a story worth telling, you can be a part of the show, too. Listen to Jesse Jameson and Friends every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. 
Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to More Than Special with Jermaine Suford. To connect with Jermaine, or if you have a question or comment about the show, send your email to Jermaine at morethanspecial.org. That's G-E-R-M-A-I-N-E at morethanspecial.org. Now, back to the show. Jenny, um, you know, I have a a question for you. If you could kind of help us understand the difference. I know you came from an outpatient uh, feeding uh, clinic as well, as so did I. And um, I was wondering if you kind of elaborate for us on, um, you know, the difference and what you see in um, doing an evaluation in an outpatient, you know, feeding setting versus an evaluation in the home. Kind of what are the differences and the pros and cons? And why do you think it is, um, you know, uh, more beneficial for the family to receive a feeding therapy in the home versus outpatient? Yeah, great question, Mona. Um, I am very heavy background in outpatient um, feeding. And, you know, I, I will say I, I saw so many children that, that still made progress in that setting. Um, but what I will tell you is I had such an aha moment um, coming from an outpatient setting where I could set up the most perfect feeding session. You know, my table, my chairs, my food, everything could look set up and perfect. So when the kiddo came into the room, we were ready to rock and roll. Um, when I when I saw my very first kiddo uh, through solace in the home, um, I walked in and I was able to see what mom was cooking. And we talked through... Um, you know, where does your kiddo eat? And, and mom said, well, for lunch, he likes to sit up at the bar top here. But for dinner, we eat at this table. But sometimes he likes his chair, his stokey chair. And I said, oh, my gosh, I could have never imagined this in an outpatient setting. So to actually see where this child was eating um, at different different meals and different times in the day was so powerful. And I said, oh, my gosh, I could never, ever, ever uh, give a parent a, a recommendation again, being just solely in the outpatient setting, because I really, mom could tell me what meals look like at home, but I really have no idea until I actually step foot into that home and I see uh, what they look like. And really, mom and dad's state of regulation and how are they doing as they prepare a meal and what looks what that looks like and, you know, is it... Um, you know, stressful for them and is the kiddo running around and what does that look like and how can we better prepare our bodies um, for, for that meal? So, Absolutely. yeah. 
So that was a big, that was a big aha moment for sure. Um, so you've got, you know, very controlled environment in an outpatient setting and an environment that isn't so controlled in the home and, and that uncontrolled environment is reality. Um, and so, you know, while I do think there are pros and cons to both, um, I am a hundred percent sold on, on conducting feeding therapy or food school in the child's natural environment so that I can help that family tackle meal times at 5 PM. In fact, uh, Mona, you know, we would, we would plan sessions to be at the time that he would be sitting down um, for lunch or dinner. And that was really powerful. And in the clinic, you know, you, you almost have to create a meal in the middle of the day, um, which can be hard. And then they're sitting in a room that isn't like the room they sit at in home at home too. Right. So absolutely. Those are all really great points. Thank you for sharing that story. And, you know, it made me think of um, in my past, one of the kiddos that um, I saw in the home um, for therapy, um, for feeding therapy, the very first feeding session. And I and I'm with you um, where I try when I go in and do an evaluation for a feeding um, session, I try to do it when the child is hungry. You know, tell me when's a good time that they're going to be hungry to come at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner so that I can really understand what's going on. And um, I'll never forget one little kiddo that I went in to do an evaluation right off the bat the the meal time the child was just walking around the house eating so the mom was just giving him chicken nuggets you know one by one and he's just walking around the house eating there was no structure to um you know their meal time that right there I would have never known had we been you know in an outpatient setting and behind closed doors um there's just so much value that you get from seeing their environment seeing what meal times look like meal times look different for everybody and um you know that right there um that little kiddo creating his own space that he had his own chair and area in the room that was dedicated to him to eat for his meals made a huge um, difference right there um Absolutely. so it makes, yeah. it makes all the difference in the world and um and the reality is is you've got pets in the background you've got yes. siblings um you know that doesn't happen when you're in the clinic setting Right, right. And, you know, another thing I love about, um, you know, home health care and, and what we do at Solace is we're community based. So we're able to generalize those skills across several different environments, because, again, some children, they're OK in a controlled environment such as their home where they can eat around people they feel comfortable with and they're used to the routine. But sometimes they go out um, in public in different environments and that's where you see the feeding disorder. And so it's really neat um, as a home health care you know, feeding specialists to be able to go to these different environments to make sure that the child is set up. They're able to generalize those skills and independence in different environments. And so that's another really great thing that we can do is because we're community-based, we can go to grandma's house. We can maybe um, the uh, picky eating is happening um, at their daycare. We can go to daycare after school programs. Um, you know, I've done feeding therapy at Chick-fil-A before. One <laughs> um, <laughs> of the park when it's nice out. Yep. Um, it is, that is the beauty, right? You're not confined yes. within, you know, the same four walls. Absolutely. Absolutely. So many wonderful different avenues we can um, travel down, you know, being um, community-based is one thing I love about home health care is being able to travel anywhere, um, you know, to see these um, families and help these children. Because um, again, they could look very different at grandma's house, you know, than they do at their own house. So it's great to be able to kind of um, change things up and make sure that they're generalizing those skills, um, you know, down in different um, environments. So that's really great. Um 
Jenny, I wanted to ask you too, I know that you have prior experience um, at the Star Feeding Clinic um, here in Denver. Can you explain to us a little bit um, about your time there? I know that is one of the resources here in Colorado um, for children with feeding therapies. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your time there and what um, I know that we recently hosted um, at Solace a continuing education course um, at the Star Clinic. And if you could share a little bit about that and um, what our therapists learned there, I think that would be great. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I did spend about a year at Star Institute for Sensory Processing Disorders. Huge fan. Um, they've got a wonderful website. Um, really, you know, if you want to learn, so, you know, more about what a sensory processing disorder is, they are such a great resource. And the really cool thing about them is that um, they have a multidisciplinary feeding team. Um, so they have a uh, developmental pediatrician on their feeding team. They have a registered dietitian, an OT, and a speech therapist, as well as a mental health counselor. Um, And so, uh, you know, kiddo and family is able to come in, and uh, we actually had a kitchen and a two-way mirror, so the team could actually be behind the mirror, and the family was in the other room. Um, And that that was really cool. You know, I, I would go in and facilitate specific strategies that the team wanted to see. And then after we would spend about three hours with the family going over the results. Um, And what we really did and what that team is still doing is looking at the seven areas of human function and how they correlate or affect feeding. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that dietitian portion is just so critical. Um, You know, we would have our families complete a three day uh, food journal and our dietitian would run that through her system and she would look at macronutrients and micronutrients and, okay, you know, is the kiddo missing nutrients in, in this area? And then from there, we could recommend certain supplements or um, vitamins, whatever uh, would, would be best for that kiddo. So, you know, the great thing about my experience at STAR was being able to work amongst a multidisciplinary team to, to really look at every area of human function and um, starts to actually sees adults. So children up through um, adulthood. And so I uh, had a lot of experience there with, with the older population. I would say, you know, children between eight and 15 um, was the majority of the kiddos I was seeing there. So Mona, you're right. We just hosted Star Institute. Um, we had about 50 of our clinicians that were on virtually a couple weekends ago, learning about sensory processing disorder, because let me tell you, it is multifactorial and there's a lot to learn. Um, and so, you know, it, believe it or not, if, if our sensory system isn't working the way that it's supposed to, it's going to affect feeding. Um, and that's only one area of human function, by the way. Um, yeah. But it's a big one. It's a big one. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all really great points, Jenny. Thank you so much um, for for sharing that. And, you know, that just kind of um, helps me segue into, you know, at Solace, um, Solace, we are um, the largest pediatric home health care provider in the state of Colorado. And um, I feel like what really sets Solace apart from other providers in Colorado is the education that we are providing to our therapists. We really take pride in being those pediatric specialists in Colorado. Um, You know, hence we had, Jenny, was it, how many of our um, therapists attended the, the STAR Institute Continue Education course? We had 50. 
Wow. 50, 50 of our therapists now. Every year, um, Solace will host a continuing education um, for our different disciplines, whether it's for physical, occupational, or, or speech. Um, this um, uh, clinic in particular was for uh, speech therapists and OTs. And now we have 50 new therapists that have an extra layer of a special education from, and we do, um, you know, our courses from the most renowned programs, um, honestly, in the nation. Um, the Start Institute is known nationwide people fly in from all over the country to um, have their children go to the star institute so every year we're making sure that we have our therapists um, you know that are getting the best continuing education out there from the best um, you know renowned um, uh, speakers and trainers um, honestly in the nation so stars is one of the courses that you know that our therapists have attended I know Dr. K Toomey um, Jenny you speak um, you know so highly of her um, can you talk a little bit about what Dr. K um, Dr. K Toomey did um, to provide to our therapists as far as education goes yeah so Dr. Toomey oh my gosh um just an incredible woman and an educator in the world of pediatric feeding disorders. She has a website too. Um, and so if you know, if you Google search uh, Dr. K Toomey, um, you'll be able to access that resource. But um, she actually presented to our clinical team twice last year. Um, it was almost like a, a private uh, course, if you will. She came just for our therapists. Um, we did three hours of a case study. We actually took four of our very own kiddos that were getting feeding therapy with our solace clinicians, and we dissected those cases. Um, wow. And then she came and did a second course on, you know, parents as partners and the role that they play in pediatric feeding disorder treatment. Um, and so, you know, we're not interested in just bringing any continuing education, we want to bring the best to solace. And so, um, you know, luckily, um, on our behalf, Dr. Uh, Toomey lives in Denver. And so it was just a hop, skip and a jump away for her to come over. But um, we have, gosh, I think we've got Mona 75 plus therapists that are really specialized and trained and able to see children of all ages, um, birth to 21 that have feeding challenges. That's that's wonderful, Jenny. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I mean, I, I just think that speaks volumes. A feeding therapy is such a specialized skill set to bring into the home that you want to make sure you have somebody that has all you know up to date training that your patients can that your kiddo is going to be safe with. And I just think that speaks volumes about our company that we take so much pride in making sure that our therapists um, have top of the line training from the experts um, you know out there um, in the field. So that is wonderful, and and even better that our family Families got to experience. Will you tell me a little bit more about that, um, Jenny? So we, we had families that were getting feeding therapy through Solace that um, got to come in and see some of these strategies that Dr. Toomey was um, teaching the, um, the therapist. Is that correct? Yeah. So these families knew that, that Dr. Toomey would be, you know, dissecting their case and um, were really able to work one-on-one with the therapist to gather some really great information to present to Dr. Toomey so that as a group we could really talk about those seven areas of human function. Um, and, and, you know, if the therapist was feeling a bit stuck uh, with, a, with a child, you know, Dr. Toomey helped us work around that. Um, maybe we were missing seeing something. And, and with that, Mona, I just want to say, um, you know, caregivers and parents, it's okay to advocate and ask your therapist what training they have and what kind of, of feeding therapy they provide and why. If you don't know what your therapist is doing and why, 
that is a problem. Um, So (laughs) I I just want to say that I I advocate, um, you know, feeding therapist, it is a specialty and not everyone is trained in it. And so it's important to know that, that your therapist has the proper training to help guide you and your child. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because feeding therapy is is on the spectrum as well. Just like Jermaine said earlier, um, you know, you could have a baby that's coming out of the NICU with a G-tube that, um, you know, from an anatomical standpoint, um, everything is fine. They just, um, you know, were failure to thrive and, and they need to work on increasing the oral feeding. That's one area that we help with feeding therapy as a specialized um, therapy group within Colorado. But the other end of the spectrum is your child that has Down syndrome or cerebral palsy and they have extremely low muscle tone and they need to work on that oral motor piece, um, you know, uh, of eating too. The other end of the spectrum is your um, child that um, is somewhere um, on the autism spectrum and they're a picky eater um, because they don't like, Jenny said earlier, they don't like the little seeds on strawberries or they don't like the way something looks. Um, Your sensory system, um, you know, has to process all those pieces before we ever accept accept something to eat um, in our mouth. And so, um, you know, it just feeding um, therapy in general is across the spectrum. So you want to make sure that your therapist um, is specialized in, you know, that area. Not all therapists yeah. are comfortable taking a baby right out of the NICU with the G-tube versus a therapist that's going to help um, a, a 16-year-old um, child with autism that's a picky eater. So yeah, it's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Moni, you know what that makes me think of too? The importance of having a multidisciplinary team, having an OT on your team, having a speech therapist on your team, um, maybe a GI doctor and a dietitian. Um, and, you know, in the world that we're in today, it's, it's getting everyone on the same page and having the time to, to communicate with one another. Because I have heard so many parents say, you know, and express frustration that, well, my GI doc said this. But my OT is saying this. Um, And so advocating and, you know, if I come into a team, I'm going to advocate that we all communicate and that we're all on the same page and we talk to one another. In fact, um, with Malia, I was able to join virtually um, at one of her doctor's appointments not too long ago, about a month ago, with the dietitian that's on her team at Children's Hospital um, and was able to say, hey, here's what we're working on. Um, And the dietitian and I were able to have a conversation. So just know that it's not a one-person team, especially when treating feeding challenges. You need everyone on board. Absolutely. And I think, Jenny, that brings up a good point. Can you kind of explain to everybody how our approach is at Solace and how, yes, we provide occupational, physical, speech, and feeding and play-based therapy, but will you kind of talk about our multidisciplinary approach and how we do a collaboration and a coordination of care every 60 days with other um, you know, providers that are working with the children as well? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, Malia is a great example. Um, I'll go back to her. Um, you know, she also receives PT with us and the PT and I, PT and I communicate regularly about her progress. Um, you know, if a kiddo can't sit up independently, they can't eat and swallow. So I rely heavily on PTs and OTs. Um, and so we communicate And that takes a level of accountability, right? It'd be easy for me to not reach out to PT, um, but I also am communicating with her medical team um, once every 60 days. So um, it's really important to to ensure that everyone's communicating and we do that at Solace, but we're able to do that because of the model that we have. The other great thing, Mona, is that um, we're able to co-treat. 
So yes. we can go in the home together. Um, with with COVID, it's a little bit different, but pre-COVID, um, you know, we did a lot of co-treatment, um, even with outside agencies, um, if they were willing to collaborate with us. Uh, so that was beautiful. I could go into a session and have um, another professional on the phone. Um, so, you know, that was the beauty of... Yeah. Or is the beauty of what we do at Solid? Absolutely. You know, Jenny, I've I've had um, times where I go to the doctor's appointment with the kiddo. They have an appointment, a GI appointment, and I'm going there so that I can talk to the GI doctor and the dietitian and see if we're all on the same page as you know changing up um, formulas, um, you know, different food allergies, things like that. So you know, that's another great part of what we can do is being able to get out into the community and advocate um, for these children at their doctor's appointments. Um, you know, I've had had sessions where I've co-treated, you know, with ABA therapists, um, you know, as well. And um, it's just, it's a really great opportunity to be able to collaborate in the community with other professionals because, you know, one of the um, great things we do at Solace is we're looking at the big picture for these families. We don't just go in and provide PTOT speech and wash our hands at the end of the day. We're going in and looking at the big picture. What can we do to help this family on a bigger level to make, you know, a bigger impact um, for this child's um, outcome, you know, of their goals. And so Absolutely. Um, that's one of the things that I love about Solace. You know, we've been around for over 15 years. We are very well established in the state of Colorado. So we have so many partners that we work with um, within the community, you know, whether the child, you know, needs um, some extra therapy for mental health or um, a social worker, or maybe the child needs a communication a communication device to speak or orthotics, whatever extra that child needs. Our therapists at Solace are trained to look at the big picture to make sure that family is able to access everything possible for that child to, you know, meet their developmental milestones as soon as possible. So um, I really take pride at Solace. So we're able to, you know, look at that, that big picture. Yeah. And Mona, I know you've done a lot of great work um, with collaborating with children's um, so we can capture some of those kiddos straight out of the NICU um, that, that need our services. And, um, and so I actually Mona would love to hear a little bit more about that. Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, my role right now at Solace is I do a lot of the pediatric therapy consulting. So I am a speech therapist by trade, but, um, you know, my official role at Solace is, um, you know, that, that pediatric therapy consulting. So I am out in the field, um, you know, every day, five days a week, building relationships with our referral, um, you know, referral partners. I am going into hospitals, building relationships with their NICUs and the PICUs and the cardiology unit, um, really showing them who we are, what we do, and why they should trust us with the kiddos that that need therapy referrals. And um, I absolutely love my job. Um, And it's it's so exciting. Honestly, I wake up every day with a smile knowing that I get to go out there and I not only get to share what we do at Solace, but I have so much passion behind it because having been, um, you know, in this field for the last 14 years, I've been in these homes. I've been on the floor um, with these families. I've been, um, you know, helping these children. I've been in the shoes that our therapists are in. So I can really speak on a clinical level right. to what it is, what we what we do out there and the impact that we're making for these families. So it adds that extra layer of trust and rapport that I'm building, um, you know, with these doctor's offices and hospitals and physicians that, you know, hey, we got you. You're going to get the best care 
um, for your child when you come to Solace. I can guarantee you that because we work so hard on the back end to make sure that, um, you know, you're getting that five-star customer service. Every time you have um, a Solace therapist come to your door, you know exactly what you're going to get because that's how we do orientation. That's how we train and that's what our culture is. So um, I, I wake up every day excited to do my, to do my job um, knowing that I'm going to be able to share something so wonderful and um, change lives whenever we have the opportunity to serve their children that have therapy needs. Absolutely. And I know the work, you know, you're doing, Mona, we're so grateful for. And, you know, you're out there advocating for early referrals too. you know, getting those babies straight out of the NICU that may need therapy for for feeding amongst, you know, other challenges that that may present. Um, post NICU. So yes, absolutely, Jenny. And you know, um, our doctors, you know, this kind of leads me into, um, so uh, you've been listening to this podcast for the last hour, and, and you're thinking as a family, oh, I have a kiddo that fits exactly everything that Mona and Jenny and Jermaine have been talking about. Um, and I want to let you know, if you are um, in Colorado, Solace would be honored to, um, you know, get an evaluation, get a feeding evaluation scheduled and see what's going on. You know, an evaluation hurts nothing, you know, at Solace, uh, there, you're not obligated to anything. It's good to have an evaluation. If you if you have that mom gut, like Jenny said, um, just to have peace of mind. Um, you know, it, it's good to know where your child stands. Maybe there's you know nothing wrong at all. They are just that picky eater. But in the chance that they are the problem eater eater, we absolutely want to make sure that we get, um, you know, a feeding therapist in the home or via telehealth as quickly as possible um, to make sure those delays don't come worse um, over, become worse over time. So, um, you know, there's several ways, if you're listening um, to this right now, there's several different ways that you can, um, you know, get your kiddo in for a feeding evaluation. I, there will be links after the show to our website, um, www.solacepediatrichealthcare.com. Any families out there can go to our website and there's a referral tab where you can click on the referral tab and either um, ask for somebody to give you a call to speak um, about making a referral for your child, or you can fill out the information online and our intake specialist will call you to get the evaluation scheduled. That is one way. Um, you can also send an email um, if email is better for you, you can send an email um, to referrals at solacehealthcare.com. Again, all these links will be um, presented for you guys after the show. Um, those are the two ways. Or you can call your doctor and have your doctor um, say, say, hey, I want a feeding evaluation at Solace. And your doctor can send us the information as well. Um, anybody can call um, you know, our phone number as well. Our phone number will be on the link. Um, and more importantly, if you want to learn more, um, our Facebook links and social media links will be available for you to look us up on Facebook, um, see that adorable video with Malia, um, our Vimeo, you can go to Vimeo to see um, our telehealth videos, so many social media resources out there to, to learn more about Solace. I'm yeah. so glad that you guys had so many things to share in such a short amount of time. And thank you so much for being flexible with, um, you know, the world of technology in, in Zoom lands and uh, podcast land. So I, yeah, if anyone has questions and they have um, the show email address that's for me, I will forward them to you guys as well. And um, I know that there's national resources, international resources, but um, I will be sure that we have those really awesome uh, links in our show notes for this show. Do you guys have any last minute things to throw in before we do a quick high five? Yeah, I just, I, I would love to just say parents, caregivers out there, navigating the world of therapy and specialty care is not easy and you're crushing it. Advocate, advocate, advocate. Um, Absolutely. 
you're 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 rocking it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining and listeners. We will see you next week. Everybody take care. Thank you for listening to More Than Special. Be sure to tune in again for another program featuring your host, Jermaine Suford, next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thanks again for being a part of the show. 